right, Tyler. All right, Johnny. You like U2, don't you? I do. Then you might like Songs of Faith and Devotion by Depeche Mode. Cool, blimey. As the strains of I Feel You die away, it's time for another edition of Tummel, or Then You Might Like, a Review 2 podcast. And this week, Johnny, we are focusing on Depeche Mode, songs of faith and devotion. Yeah, I think people have been expecting us to do Depeche Mode for a long time, and it is with a certain amount of trepidation that we approach Depeche Mode, because we know how dedicated their fans are. I think, similarly to you 2 and we've probably said this about a few bands, They've their level of commitment and fandom in the Depeche Mode community is very, very high. And you only have to see any of the DVDs or live videos from a Depeche Mode gig of pretty much any time to see how absolutely Dave Garn and the rest of the band is loved by their audience. So this is exciting, although slightly worrying as well. But I think I think overall people should be happy. This has been a, a fantastic few weeks of listening for me. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I feel like there's I mean, I know because I, I follow um, I follow Depeche Mode on Facebook. I know how passionate those fans are, and it's um, I, I think if if we've got any stripes at all, we've got stripes in in the U two camp, um, and it it can be a bit. Sometimes it can seem a bit insulting when somebody from one fandom, you know, comes over and and we're not trying we're not trying to you know, compare you two and Depeche Mode, it's, it's you know, as the title says, it's then you might like, but I do feel more pressure than I normally would do for a review. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting point to bring in something that Dave Garn said as well about this, because he said that comparisons with you two often kind of follow Depeche Mode around, and he's not massively keen on that. And he explains this by saying, I think that that's probably the Anton Corbin connection. I'm, I'm going to say my usual disclaimer, I don't know how to say Anton Corbin's name, so I'm just going to say it like that pretty much like Jeremy Corbyn. So um, obviously Corbyn has done a lot of photography of Depeche Mode and that was done around about the same time and continued at the same time that the Joshua Tree and Acton Baby and all those fantastically iconic images of U2 were being established. So I think that's probably a lot of the reason why just the iconography and the imagery and the shared time slot that they occupy means that they're an easy comparison to make. However, there are more concrete comparisons. Have you got any comparisons you want to talk about there, Tyler? I've got, I've got a few, but what do you think? I've, I've got a few, a few other artists to mention, but what, one thing that I did read, uh, which I found really interesting, was uh, a quote by Jim Kerr from Simple Minds, who mm-hmm. named U2 and Depeche Mode as Simple Minds' only real contemporaries of any significance. So, there's probably a lot of bands who would be a bit annoyed about that from Jim Kerr, but I get what he means. Uh, you know that that's his perspective, and yeah. that's interesting. Um, obviously, coming from the U two side, and I've said this many times on review too. For me, there's U two and the rest, and mm. I I'm I'm always kind of chasing a rainbow of how to see the bigger picture, and you know, the, and the real landscape of eighties music. Yeah. Um. So that's an interesting insight from uh, from 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 my point of view, anyway. One of the things that's a very obvious comparison is the fact that U2 and Depeche Mode have collided on the Actung Baby covered album, 
which doesn't really come across how weirdly that's spelt when it when you just say it out loud um with depeche mode covering the song so cruel so i'll just go through a little bit of detail on that obviously we talked about it when we reviewed that album in general but they have this shared working engagement not just with anton corbin on the visual front but with flood as well so um we first heard acton baby working on songs of faith and devotion with flood remarked martin gore it was the closest our bands ever got you two had become more electronic while depeche mode were working on a new rock vision but there was never a rivalry bono used reverse psychology in his email requesting the band's participation in the tribute album saying he totally understood why we'd say no we thought why not so cruel is bono at his best words wise and we couldn't tackle one that would be almost sacrilegious so i think there's a lot of good blood between the two bands and i and that's obviously shown by the fact that depeche mode covered so cruel did a really good yeah, job I, with that as well i i agree um i'm going to come back to that magazine actually in a minute but it's it's interesting they seem to have this frenemy kind of thing you know like chris martin and uh and bono have that yeah that that rivalry where they'll slag each other off in the press completely jokingly but you know it might it might get some headlines mm. um it seems to be a little bit more distant with uh, dave garn and and bono but but for a specific reason in that they have followed each other around unconsciously so much throughout the career that they almost they almost can't be seen to be friends um yeah. but there, there was a quote i've got here where bono uh, for, so bono uh, had just played an arena you two had just played an arena and um and depeche mode were going in and bono sent over a note saying hello and generally being quite polite and dave garn sent one back saying and who are you which i think is really funny mm. Do you not find that funny? It would be funny if I wasn't reading the same quote because I've done the same research and I've, I'm just looking at the exact same quote. So it's kind of that like God damn, it's internet. kind of like watching a stand-up, but you already know what he's going to say. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. That's the first time I've ever been described as a stand-up. Yeah, not favorably, but um, yeah, I think that's um, that's that's a there is a nice a nice constructive rivalry definitely there and the meeting point which i think you know even if certain fans who on either side don't like either band i don't know why you would but there we go because they're both fantastic bands i think this is a great album for us to choose particularly me because i love acton baby i know you do as well but it's my, it's my favorite u2 album and this as martin gore said is probably where they get the closest in sound u2 becoming more electronic depeche mode realizing they need to put some of those um samples and some of that strict sequenced style of music away and become a bit more rocky and grungy and it all adds up to a fantastic album. I think what the interesting takeaway from that is, um, I think all all the members of, of both bands are, were born within a couple of years. Yeah. And they they both started in 1980. And they, um, they... So they're basically at the same points in the career. And it's interesting that as they go into the 90s, as as they're bringing out new music, they're, they're kind of ripping up the rule book of what is Depeche Mode or what is U2. Mm. And they're trying to find something else. And, and therefore, both of these albums, Act on Baby and Songs of Faith and Devotion, can be seen as risks. Definitely, Either yeah. album could have ended the, either band. So Yeah. I'd say the contrast is is deeper and wider in, in terms of, you know, Rattle and Hum and act and baby but these were definite times when they made decisions to change what they were doing 
And I think that I, I agree, but I'm I'm basically saying that because if you know if you've if you've come to this episode and you know again it's called then you might like as a surface reading, that is a huge connection to Actung Baby. Oh yeah, and and also to add to that, Flood, who's often worked with Depeche Mode, had suggested this idea that what they should do in order to make an album that was different to Violator, the album before this, which was a good, you know, it was a, a strong album. It, it it pushed Depeche Mode up into further up into the public consciousness with songs like. Um, uh, I say enjoy the silence. That's it. I say that's one of my only songs that I can sing at karaoke, and um, I've forgotten about that. Um, songs like <laughs> that, basically. I mean, some some I, would say sing. I did Precious once at karaoke. Great song, although I don't know if everyone would know it as much as Enjoy the Silence, which is a pretty much guaranteed hit. There were two middle-aged women who were having a whale of a time. It went almost unnoticed by everybody else. It's good that your mum and your auntie came to watch you. <laughs> Um, so back, back to Flood, anyway, he said that after working on Acton Baby and he'd seen this process work so well, I mean, in the end, initially it didn't work well, but that's another story. Flood suggested, let's build our own studio, rent a house so the band can live and and have that kind of work process, which had yielded up that success for Acton Baby. The thing is, Flood should have known that the recording of Acton Baby was, at least at the start, far from smooth and fun. So the atmosphere around this album where it comes from is from a massive amount of tension anger frustration and flood describing the period as like pulling teeth basically and if you want to get a fuller idea of this then there's a documentary that came with um one of the uh, one of the depeche mode dvds called we were going to live together it's all on youtube now like everything is so you can that, that's where i watched it and you can see what happened. Um, so, did you know much about w- what the process was for this for recording this album, Tyler? No. Um, so, my relationship with Depeche Mode has always been favourable, in that I've listened to songs here and there. M- my biggest stint listening to Depeche Mode was probably when I was in university. And I was they they brought out a remix album. I think it was Remixes Two, mm-hmm. um, and so that was the most I'd, I'd ever really indulged in Depeche Mode. But loved that album, and for a good couple of years would keep going back to that. So it's a bit strange for me now going back and listening to the original albums and the original album tracks when I'm so used to having those remixes mm. that I've known and loved for the best part of a decade at this point and it's odd when you start listening to a version of something then realize that it wasn't quote-unquote the original and then you sort of feel like well which one is the more authentic now to me i imagine a lot of people and we'll get onto this later on would have known the uh, the zephyr mix of um, in your room rather than the album mix because it was the music video mix and that's so they're so different in the in the way that they sound or at least to me i think they sound so different so it's interesting to see which one you would feel like personally would be more more authentic yeah um yeah i think i think we will get to that um uh, uh, so i've got another quote here yeah, by cool. another artist that we have covered brandon flowers of the killers um and we don't have a nickname for brandon yet do we flandon very good. That's some of your best work there, Johnny. <laughs> um, so Brandon Flowers says, it brought a sense of danger and excitement to my adolescence. Nephi Utah 
where I was living at the time, had neither danger nor excitement. It's heavy, melodic and dark. I still love it. I love the power of music. I was already aware of the band, but by discovering this record, all by myself, it brought me closer to them. <laughs> they became mine. And I, I kind of like that. I do I, like I was laughing at all by myself. All by myself. Um, so, yeah, and I really like that because I feel like I've had that relationship with so many records mm-hmm. where I've just, you know, put it on um, by chance and found this album which feels like it was almost written for me. So I really like, uh, and, and Brandon's an emotional guy, so uh, I, I really like that outpouring of love for this album. I think that does capture what this album feels like. I feel like I've genuinely discovered this album properly now. It, it's been recommended to me a lot of times. Um, I think it was the one that um, that our friend Laura recommended to me as this is a Depeche Mode that you would enjoy the most. And I remember always recognising some of the tracks, but I think you need to do a proper deep dive on it to to well, force yourself because of this situation, because I'm, I'm doing a podcast on it, to listen to it in its entirety. And I've, I've always mm. been quite familiar with Depeche Mode singles. I've got um, one of the singles collections and it's very, very strong, but it's been kind of a, oh, I'll dip into that. I'll listen to this. Um, there's a few favorites. There's ones that I skip, but this feels like it's an actual discovery of an album that I will properly come back to, not just, oh, well, there's three or four tracks there that I'll I'll bang on it every now and then. It's, it's a great album. Yeah. No, I've had a, I've had a really, I've had a real musical journey with this album over the last couple of weeks because we were supposed to record a week ago, and I and I'd basically messaged you saying I'm I'm not ready to do it, and I didn't I genuinely didn't feel like I was getting the album at all, and and I just kind of wanted to do it some justice because I knew it had been recommended to us, and by the way, we're doing this episode because it was recommended uh, to us on Twitter by Gareth. Uh, who we met in Manchester, and hopefully when all this lockdown rubbish is... Uh, d- and that's not rubbish, by the way. R- lockdown is very important. It's but for when, our own when good. This, when this current social situation is over, hopefully we can meet up with people like Gareth again um, at a gig. Um, I would really like that. But this was uh, recommended to us by Gareth and by... Uh, let me just check Twitter, because I'm terrible with names. Well, I'll, while you're checking uh, that, I'll do... MC Dex. Oh. Oh, MC Dex. Who? From Beijing. MC Dex recommended this oh, from well, Beijing. Well, I, hope he enjo- I hope he or she um, enjoys this then. Unless I've got the wrong person. <laughs> I may, I, I may have the wrong person. Um, yeah, I, I may have the wrong person. I think, though, that it's quite likely that this will be one of those episodes that people will tune into, if you know what I mean. It's a very well-known album. And again, this is a, the sort of pressure that's, that's put on you doing a review of it. And if as I say with any episode of Tumult, if there are any people who are coming into this from that band's community, from the Depeche Mode community, never heard of us, couldn't care less about you 2 or, or is relatively lukewarm on them, hello, welcome, these are our opinions. But to be fair, this week, I don't think there's going to be many bad opinions, at least not on my side about this album, really. To quote my co-host Johnny, um, we we barely know anything about you two, so please don't get angry at us for getting the most simple of things wrong regarding uh, Depeche Mode. Yeah, well, having said that, shall we hear what the charts were up to at this particular time and see what sort of musical landscape Depeche Mode were ploughing into when they, when they released this album? Okay. Hit it. In number 10, David Bowie, Jump They Say. 
Number nine, down from five, Michael Jackson, Give In To Me. Number eight, new on the chart, Cliff Richard, Peace In Our Time. Number seven, Ugly Kid Joe, Cats In The Cradle. Stay at number six this week, it's Lenny Kravitz, Are You Gonna Go My Way. New in at number five, The Bluebells, Young At Heart, 1993. In at number four, Two Unlimited, No Limit. Staying at number three this week, it's Shabba Ranks with Mr. Loverman, 1993. Number two now, Snow, Informer, and number one for another week, it's Shaggy, Oh, Carolina. <laughs> well, there's certainly some memorable songs in there. I mean, I... I, I did not know Shaggy had been around that long. Uh, that it honestly brings me right back to um to my childhood that i would have been about five at the time that this would have been released and my brother particularly liked that shaggy song and the shabba song or at least i can remember it being played a lot so i assume he liked it because he was always into a more sort of dancey scene rather than a rocky scene so yeah even even there well your brother's what two three years older than you he's three he would have been about eight that time but he, he's always like me been been big into music from quite like an early age that's crazy. Um, or maybe I'm misremembering um, all of that, as we are want to do. Um, so this was this was in March the 22nd, 1993, that Songs of Faith and Devotion was released. It's the eighth studio album by Depeche Mode. It always sort of surprises me how many albums um, Depeche Mode have. It shouldn't really, because they're, they're, as Dave said, they're broadly contemporaneous with U2. They've got a similar amount of work, and they've got a, you know a large body of work, which is quite different in different places but but there we go and i think this is maybe not to get sidetracked but maybe this is interesting that it, it takes this many albums to really develop and mature and go through enough life experience to get to a point where you can make an album this dark and interesting yeah it's this is it's atmospheric isn't it this yeah and it it, it bears experience if you know what i mean and I just I worry that maybe I mean this sounds like a stupid worry but I worry sometimes that consumer culture these days in terms of music is so quick who's going to make albums of this sort of depth I mean unless you're writing hits and things like that that are in immediately successful on a commercial level things get chucked so easily and if you're not being controversial you have a new album I just don't know if bands like U2 and Depeche Mode would have would have got that far um these days i think no i think you know it is different now i, th- I think bands certain bands still will yep um and and for, you know bear in mind this is eight albums in they'd paid the dues and afforded you know they, they were able to experiment a little bit you know and, and if this album had flopped maybe it wouldn't have sank them if acting baby had flopped maybe it wouldn't have, maybe it wouldn't have sank you too you know they if you 10 years into your career 12 years into your your career i think you, i think you are allowed to experiment that, look yeah. look at look at the, the the bands that we've grown up with the, the killers and arcade fire um how much would we love it if they you know just went absolutely david bowie style or prince style crazy well, I think- where they just did something so unbelievably imaginative and really took a, a left turn i think that would be amazing well, i think okay fire tried with them um, with reflector but maybe they maybe they didn't try hard enough but we'll, we'll get back i to still that. i still love reflector I, I like reflector as well i just don't think it's as radical a shift as it as it might have been but then i remember yeah. having a conversation with you about three years after reflector came out going do you know what i think i get that now <laughs> and i was like what what took you so long <laughs> mm. 
maybe that's a, another tumul conversation. So shall we get right into songs of faith and devotion then? In at number one, not in at number one, track number one, <laughs> track number one, I Feel You. Uh, this is the first single. It's four minutes, 35 seconds, and it was released on the 15th of February, 1993. My problem with this track, and it's a good problem to have, is that I can't ever seem to get it loud enough in my headphones. It starts off with this um, this sort of twangy, very Western-style guitar riff, which not something you'd expect from Depeche Mode, considering the scene is mainly a sort of synthesizer-based band. Um, and it only really gets heavy about a minute or so in, or loud. And I just I'm always trying to dial up my EQ and my bass and everything that I can do to get it to be loud and that's because it's this big expansive exciting song i'd love to see it live i think this would be one of the songs on the album that i would i'd most like to see live as in in person obviously i know i can see things on youtube so it's big expansive exciting song and there's just a real physicality to it which which i think possibly i know depeche mode have done fantastic albums before this violator black celebration but there's a real physicality to this, which I think was missing in earlier Depeche Mode albums. Yeah, the, the, as I said, there's an atmosphere, there's a feeling, there's it's kind of movie esque. It, it there's there, there are themes moving right through it, and and feelings moving right right through it, and I think this sets the scene really really well. All the way through this album, I was I was kept thinking, you know, cinematically. Like how how this would play out in a in a movie, and it's 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 really quite interesting. Um, Martin Gore has said before that he prefers to write songs about loneliness um, than than happy songs because that the, they sound more real to him, mm. and uh, happy songs often often sound fake. Um, and I, and I kind of I kind of get that, but I I think that sometimes you do need happy songs. Um, but this this album is certainly. I view it as an album. I, I, it's it's a complete piece of work. Yeah, and that's the distinction that we've we've had since we started doing review two of is this just a handful of songs which happen to share the same vinyl or CD, or is this a cohesive whole? Does it have themes that develop? And to me, this is definitely the latter. It's something that's held together with lots of themes. Obviously, those ones to begin with of faith and devotion. But yeah, as, oh, go on, I, I I feel like with with I feel you. Uh, and if me and Johnny keep talking over each other, it is because we we're still recording in lockdown. And I hope by the time that you're listening to this that that isn't the case. But uh, at the minute when we're recording, we are in lockdown. Um, but with I feel you, I feel like it's a step into a cave, and you've kind of got that choice now: do I turn back or do I keep going? Mm. It really sets up the scene and you kind of I kind of knew from the step from the first song that this album wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna throw up a poppy song at me you know to give me some respite not in a conventional it, sense no no I mean and they do do it in their own style yeah. but certainly I, I, I'm I'm not gonna get a, a, a uh, you just can't get enough kind of <laughs> no. thing which must be an absolute albatross around their necks yeah, but you know, a good-looking albatross that gives them a lot of money, and you know, that's not a problem. Well, yeah, fair enough. Um, I mean, if the albatross albatross is laying golden eggs, then maybe not a bad problem. Fair enough. Um, so I knew you'd like this because it's <laughs> uh, because it's quite um repetitive, in a good way. Yeah. 
um, and the, just the, the heavy effects on the guitar. Yeah, this is one of the things that I've really enjoyed reading about, and I'm not going to go into loads of detail, but um, probably because I'll, I'll get things wrong, but I, I think I just really like Flood's production style. I think if if I were ever to do an album, say in an alternate universe where I actually had something decent to record, I think Flood would be the person I'd be calling. Uh, so sorry, Brian. Sorry, Steve. But I would be going to Flood because there's just a way that he creates these these incredible deep but distorted like crackly interesting electric sounding landscapes and i'm always thinking what is that and a lot of the time it's because they were doing things like recording synthesizers in an unconventional way you know recording them through um guitar amps or or, or just doing things in an, in an odd way trying to be creative with the way that they were actually doing things and you also get in this album rather than um the drums just simply being sequenced and therefore to a certain extent sterile you have live drums that have then been processed and then turned into loops and i think that's probably my favorite type of drum sound it's very zeropery style or, or a pop poppy sound where you do have the live and the computerized stuck together which is which is just it gives that percussion such a great sound no i, I completely i completely agree uh also uh, i hope you're all listening uh closed cans not maybe not to this podcast but to the album <laughs> to get the incredible uh, <laughs> production value on on review too yes i'm over here and now i'm over here um I'm, and i trust that johnny has put that in stereo I, I for can't, you. I can't, I've, even though we're in lockdown <laughs> i can't be bothered doing that kind of thing um so yeah great use of stereo on on i feel you and throughout the album yeah it does spin um, around you yeah um fantastic it, it's like stepping into a cave or falling down a hole but a good hole. Yeah, and and I think I think this is like a, a mission statement of I think the cave analogy works really well because it does feel like we're going somewhere dark and deep, but still exciting and interesting. That feeling of do I you know do I continue or do I turn back? You know, and that desire to want to go and push yourself, mm. but the fear of of what you might find. Honestly, so cinematic from the first song and it, incredible and it must have been surprising to a lot of maybe not that surprising but but a bit you know a bit disorientating for certain Depe- depeche mode fans who'd been used to a cleaner sort of sound it's not that they've not done dark materials before they have done but there's just a quality to this which is which is more more harsh and aggressive and and therefore a little bit scary and interesting yeah and also i mean there's there's references to things like like babylon about you know Dave being dragged through, or should we say Martin, uh, this is going to be a, a difficult thing as well because obviously Dave Garn is a singer, but Martin Gore writes most of the lyrics or the lion's share of them. Although, but I've... is Andy is Andy Fletcher the original member, or is it his band? Is he the the Larry? I, I, to be honest, even the U two community goes on about it being Larry's band. I actually don't think it's an important distinction to make. I, I think it's everyone's band, except for Dick Evans. It's not his band. <laughs> Um, but but what i'm saying is is that i think that poor old dick well yeah quite um i think there are there are references on here which have a lot to do with um not just martin gore's interest or or continued discussion all the way through this album of um being restrained or sadistic and masochistic sort of ideas and images which will come through but also dave was not in the best shape at this particular time I don't want to go into lots of autobiog- autobiography about what was going on at this time, but um, as far as I know, he took quite a bit of heroin and was 
He was hanging out in a different space to the rest of the band. One of the reasons why this album sounds so heavy and rocky and grungy in, in places and areas is because Dave had been living in a different place, trying out a different lifestyle, and also, I think, doing quite a lot of drugs. So when we get references about him being you know, taken through Babylon and all that other kind of stuff... I think there are there's light and shade there. This is a happy song in some ways, or or an exciting, exuberant one, but it's also got a lot of de- a lot of darkness to it. And if he's, you know, I feel you, is that a reference to drugs or is it a reference to a person? That's interesting. That's really because I've never, I've known this is one of the songs that I have obviously known for a while. They're not, I haven't discovered it through this album, but. Mm. I think yeah, I think I think it's the start of a relationship. But with that's but how with I've what? Sort of always seen it. Um, I mean, there's not a definitive answer, is there? And and I think the thing that makes this album enjoyable, at least for me, is there's a lot of ambivalence and pulling in two different directions. Um, so just to break. Well, what 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 I think? Uh, uh, sorry to interrupt okay. you. Um, but what I have to say is far more important. We'll see. Um, I, I, I think I've said before that I'm obsessed with the idea of a moment, that minuscule element of time that can change everything. And when he when he sings, "This is the moment of our love," it's like, yeah, that that would happen. You can get right down to the tiniest, tiniest of milliseconds. And that is where everything changed. And I think that's what I find really interesting about that. Well, then, that idea of this is the dawning of our love, again, the first time you do a particularly addictive drug might be that moment. I'm not saying, by the way, that this song is definitely just about that. I'm saying that it's it's interesting to see it through that lens. And I think a biographical lens is interesting here, but that's complicated by the fact that, um, as far as I know, Gore writes, you know, the lines show the lyrics. Yeah. Well, there we go. Um, well, I mean, I, I don't know if that's true. I'm just agreeing. With you. <laughs> well, I, I'm agreeing that you think that. Yes. Well, as as far as I as far as I know, that is that's what the the main sort. Of, yeah. Right. Okay. Track listing. All tracks are written by Martin Elgore. So there we go. And some, as we'll find out, are actually sung by him. Although that took me a while to figure out, actually. Do you want to tell us more about that, or should we move on to the next track? Let's move on to the next track, because I think it'll come up naturally, won't it? <laughs> okay, so uh, track two, Walking In My Shoes, is 5 minutes 35 seconds, the second single released on the 26th of April 1993. Mm-hmm. Um, this has always been a song that I've come back to, um, just like uh, Never Let Me Down Again. There's songs that i just love by by depeche mode and I, I, I would not understanding the context or anything like that i would just think i want to hear that song let's put it on so i like this song and i think there is a bit of a duality to it because on the first reading of this the first time you listen to this song particularly if you're a teenager listening to this or maybe someone who's just a bit annoyed i think you can read it as everyone doesn't get me this is a really hard time I'm going through. And if you only understood a little bit of how difficult my life is, then, you know, then you'd, you wouldn't be so pompous or self-righteous because try walking in my shoes, you know, that's, that's the first reading. And I think that's what most people would get through this song. And it, it could be a really good song to vent your frustrations, which, which is important. But I also, when I keep listening to it, I don't know if we're meant to take Garn 
or Gore or whoever's singing in this song as I know it's Dave singing it but Martin Gore wrote it um, I don't know if we're meant to be interpreting this person as yeah this is a righteous harmed individual who's being persecuted or if they're actually the one who's being a bit selfish by saying isn't it terrible being me you know so I, I, I like that song I like the fact that I've been able to over time to sort of think about it in more ways than that first reading I, I like it because it's a song about an emotion or a feeling that you wouldn't necessarily admit to. It's almost taboo, in a way. What feeling like you're you're being that no one gets you and that it's, it's, it's hard being it's, you. It, it's a song and a public decoration, a, de- a declaration of this emotion that you would normally shy away from. That's what I find interesting about it. But how would you explain that emotion? Or what 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 is that emotion that you think he's talking about here? It, it's a it's a very woe is me um, kind of mm. emotion, isn't it? Uh, you know, if it's a desire to be understood, maybe not expressed in the best of ways, maybe the kind of thing that you would blurt out when you're hammered in a pub somewhere. Um, you know, it's mm. it's it's for people that are down and out, and at the end of the you know the they need they need help they need a hug they need a, a friend they need someone to talk to um but it, it's one of those darker emotions that you normally wouldn't admit to and it is a kind of people don't an abandon issue isn't it as in like it's a, it's a when you you're so far gone in that feeling because as he says you know he's not looking for absolution or forgiveness it's a no you don't understand i'm not i'm not going to back down on this whatsoever you just need to understand how i feel I also get the impression that he knows he's at f- he's the one at fault. It's not everyone else. Well, that, yeah, that's that's what I mean. I think that's I think the way that I listened to this when I was younger was, yeah, I, you know, it was a purely you know quite a teenage sort of feeling of do you know what? Sometimes I actually have it quite it's difficult. deeper than that. Yeah, but but it's but yeah, as as I've got older, I think it's meant to be we're meant to question that a little bit more. Um, but I don't think, like with everything on this album, I don't think there's a, a particularly clear answer that that's going to be no. That's the definitive reading. No, I I, I agree. A good song, actually, um, a song that I, I apparently have come across before because uh, it was liked on my Spotify, um, which I I do a a, a thing with um, my my friend Lewis. And he'll come round and we'll go through my Spotify recommended playlist each week. And Lewis being tied um, to a chair while you while you're doing this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um so we, we, we go through and basically one of us has to only one of us has to want to veto a song and we'll skip to the next track. Mm. Um but if it got a like, that means it survived the test <laughs> that week. I don't know when it came up and I don't remember ever listening to it before the last couple of weeks. But apparently in uh when I'd listened to that song in isolation, it passed the test for both of us. Well I reckon Depeche Mode are gonna be very happy about that endorsement. Yeah, yeah, they 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 passed the Tyler and Lewis test. <laughs> um last thing I wanna say about this song, um Apart from the fact that it's just it's just so great in terms of melodies that the the instrumentation is just so strong, the choruses and the verses sound really. It's not just a sludge of music, which is so difficult to to um, get right when you when you are doing a lot of production, which is mixing so many different things. 
it's the the verses are really lush and 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 but there's loads of space for Dave's voice and then there's lots of strings in there as well which are which are just fantastic and and really add to it so it's just well produced yeah it is um so track three then uh third single condemnation and it's three minutes 20 released on the 13th of september 1993 yeah this is a great song although I'm, i'm every time i listen to this album i have a temptation to skip this song not because it's bad but because i think it might be a little bit too early on it's short but because it's at that much slower rhythm and it's so, it's so different in terms of texture to the songs that precede and are around it, I just tend to end up skipping it. Um, but then again, you know, one's the third track in on Act and Baby and that, that arguably could be the same, the same situation where it just feels like hmm, this is a bit of a weird change of pace. Um, so the song is great. I'm just not sure about the positioning of it. That's interesting you say that because certainly in the, the, the this album has basically been in my life for two weeks, almost to the day, right? So for the first week, it was like the the first half of the album. I was that's what I would I, I only wanted to listen to to the the first few tracks, and then over the last week, I've wanted to listen to the the last few tracks. How many? Is it ten tracks on this? Uh, yep, ten ten official tracks off the original release. Yeah. So yeah, you know, um, I would basically listen up to Judas, and then the last week or so, I've been listening to the the, the final five tracks. So I kind of get what you're saying with that, mm. and I do I do enjoy it. But and obviously, my relationship with the album will will progress over time. Um, but it's it's interesting that you want to skip at, skip this point, and I've been skipping the first five tracks the last week or so i just I, it's not that i want to skip the song it's just that i want to rearrange it but i don't but i, I reckon i'd probably break the record by doing that as in it, it wouldn't actually work in that sort of sequence um no I, I think i think there's an accessibility to the first five yeah and there's uh for, for the sonic nerd in me there's more interesting stuff on the on the final five tracks, which I think actually is not the worst comparison in the world to make to Act and Baby, because I mean, although Act and Baby begins with with Zoo Station, which isn't a single, I'd say the accessible stuff is more towards the front, and then there's a real depth when you get to the end of it. Yeah, I mean, it's been front front loaded with uh, with singles, and by the way, uh, Gareth on Twitter did say that he believes this to be the uh, best three-track opener to an album it, i mean as individual songs um they're great and I, I i like i do like the journey i just i don't know why i just feel like it's maybe just i mean even if you literally just put mercy in you before and flipped it around that might just help for me but it's probably just a, a, a personal thing that i probably should get off um this yeah. this is according to dave garn his greatest vocal contribution so i mean i think he was he credits even though he's obviously right up front in this band uh, probably even more so than a lot of other bands because he's so mobile and the rest of the band are usually relatively static either tied to synthesizers or or like martin gore wearing some sort of bondage gear that actually literally restricts his movement um but i think he saw himself as not really adding as much as other people to the songwriting process to this particular album which was mainly driven by by the other members particularly um alan wilder who would would then leave the band quite quite soon after this whole 
period finished and and Martin Gore and apparently most of the creative tension came from those two butting heads but according to Dave this is his greatest vocal contribution and you can see why because his voice is is fantastic on this on this song yeah no I I complete I completely agree it's um I do I you know I, I feel like I feel like we've not done this song justice because I don't I know I really enjoy it but it's just I don't know. I feel I feel uncomfortable now. Why? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Well, do you think it's made? Go on. Do you think it should it, it should pick up pace and it seems a bit a bit slower? I do. I to, I think the thing is, it's a slower paced gospel at its heart. It's a gospel song, and that is so different from a a you know a more rocky. I feel you and a much more processed walking in my shoes, which seems so vitriolic, but it, it does work in terms of the, the themes that have been set up. It, it's got, it does, it carries on nicely from walking in my shoes because I think it's a lot to do with people's judgment of other people. Obviously, I mean, that's, that's what condemnation means. And he's got this, this cry in it where he's saying, if for kindness, you substitute blindness, please open your eyes. I, I think the song is, definitely ambiguous enough that you can say yeah certain people are substituting blindness a willful blindness for kindness so you could say on one hand that people are blind to things like faith you know that you should have faith and that you need to if you, if you don't have it then you're blind on the other hand you could say yeah but if you're blinded by your own version of religiosity that means you're not kind you know you're living by the strict letter of the law and not the spirit then you also need to open your eyes. So it, it works thematically, definitely, and there's a load of depth there again. I don't know why you feel weird, though. No, you have to right. talk that over so with your psychiatrist. Think, yeah, possibly. Um, and so I think this track would, could be a really good opener for a live show. Mm. Why? Yeah. I, I just... Maybe the even you know the 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 singing well Dave singing it off stage. I just think that this bit it does it does build to something, but I I don't know I I feel like it should for so for track three we want something that's big and not bombastic but a bit you know has a bit more energy to it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's more more of a placing. But I think that it does build to something. I mean, it's huge it, by the... It gets you in the mood for something. Yeah, it's huge by the end, by the time you've got a whole chorus of people joining in. I just wonder if that sort of slower place gospel song should be should be third. Um, but like I said, if I started fiddling around with the track listing, um, I'd probably end up making the record seem stupid. No, yeah, um, I agree. I agree. Let's move on. Uh, have some mercy on me. <laughs> Track number four, Mercy in You. I was trying to find out, because these songs are all about faith and devotion, two very highly charged words in terms of religiosity, I was trying to find out, okay, let's put our cards on the table. What do they actually believe? Um, so I've got a quote here from Martin Gore, which I think was from the actual time. And I'll just I'll just go through a couple of things and we'll probably arrive somewhere that's probably more confusing than where we started. But uh, Martin Gore says, I admit I have a problem, says chief songwriter Martin Gore with a slight, slight chuckle, confronted with the overload of liturgical language in the new songs. So these means 
the songs on this album. He pauses, seemingly genuine, uh, genuinely introspective. God knows why, no pun intended, but every time I write a song, I feel the need to touch on religion. Or sex, chimes in extrovert singer Dave Garn. Back to Martin. And often I tie that religion in with love or sex. Because love and sex are things I can grasp and believe in. And I've never been able to wholeheartedly follow any religion. So they're about as near as I can get to understanding anything. But I have this inherent longing to want to believe in something. So, and if I was pushed, no, I don't even think I'd have to be pushed. I would say that I believe in God. Right, so that's one thing that, that Gore's been saying here. But what I think is interesting... I mean, that's a com- that's a conversation with himself, isn't it? Well, it's, it's in... Well, yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, even there's a few more people in the interview than, than were actually there that day. Um, so it seems like he's he can't get away from these things all being associated. And what I like about this album is... You've got a word like faith and a word like devotion. Now, on a on a again on a simple reading, we've got faith. Okay, faith, faith in God, faith in religion, devotion, devotion to God, devotion to religion. But faith can also be faith that someone is going to change, or faith in a relationship with someone that actually isn't doing you any good. And devotion, it can be the same sort of thing. You can be devoted to something that does you wrong. You know, you can be devoted to something that actually doesn't bring you any spirituality. Or doesn't bring you anything that's good either. Or you can just be devoted to stuff that's completely unspiritual. Like, as he's saying here, love and sex. Which don't have to be in any way religious. So, yeah. yeah, That's the relationship between the human experience and the human faith, isn't it, really? We're all brought up with these ideas. No matter where we're we're born in the world, we're all brought up with, with, with the religion or the God that's followed in that particular part of the world. And it can quite often contradict with the the human experience as, as we find it. So I kind I, I know I know exactly where he's coming from with that. And the, the two things can we I mean we we don't we're not believers. We're we're both atheists, but there's still that idea of God and the teachings that we you know that we were brought up with still kind of play a part in our lives well i think you'd want to because it's because it's still in there isn't I it? i think what you'd want to i mean rather than just be broaden this out and saying like oh, i'm really spiritual man or anything like that but <laughs> i think what what you might have is you want an experience of something that's intensely meaningful even in a way that you can't pin down in a rational sort of way and that's probably why we're so drawn to music in that in that sort of way not to just psychoanalyze our ourselves but um i get that feeling much more intensely from music than i ever have from my previous you know sort of forced upon formalized religion so i think and and by the way another quote from martin gore a long long time later is he said i've never been religious in any way but a lot of my songs have dealt with spirituality and somehow we've lost our spiritual way at the moment so i don't know where he's up to and i'm actually quite happy that i don't he hasn't got a particularly consistent position on this because i think it would make the songs more boring I, I don't want to listen to an album from anyone who's sure of something, you know, particularly things like religion. And, and that's why Christian rock is the worst music genre ever. As as Hank Hill says on uh, King of the Hill, he says, you're not making religion better. You're just making rock and roll worse. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so I think that's why a song like Mercy in You is, is really interesting. Um, you've got lines like, be led hopelessly astray again just so I could pray again for the mercy in you. So you've you've got ideas of someone being led astray 
so they can pray that's surely some sort of contradiction isn't it because you think of you think of religion as finding the path and stuff like that um so you could turn this song over and over and still not find an answer and that's enjoyable it's one of the it's one of the songs that i I think i'm going to keep coming back to uh there's a lot in there for Mm. me um i mean it starts off with this uber 80s guitar uh sound and then the, the, it, it kind of kind of gave me visions of of the cult, and then this, and then as the synth comes in, it comes in. It, the synth actually ties in with what uh, Martin was saying there, because I think I feel like the synth hangs over the album as a as a as a conscious a conscience almost. Yeah, um, I noticed that the. Do, do you get yeah, that? I, I I I was listening to this today. I really noticed that this the the wah-wah and the the stuff that he does in the verses is much more like kind of the crack of a whip or it's much more dark and then when the when the synthesizer comes in not only are the chords unexpected but they're kind of really really beautiful and sound quite pure so i get that darkness and light that you seem to be talking about there yeah good i'm glad lovely agree (laughs) great song and one again one that i would never have heard because it's not on my obviously it's not a single at least i don't think it is in any format um so i wouldn't have heard it unless we decided to do it for tumul and it's one of the strongest that i've heard yeah it's um i think it is it's obviously a deep cut Mm. um it, it is songs like this that Songs that you know that you're gonna come back to and be forced to dig a little bit deeper, and and songs that kind of get under under your skin, that that does that do make this this journey worthwhile. Yeah, exactly. I feel I feel, I feel enriched. <laughs> Good. Next song then. Judas. I can't. I can't. I, can't, <laughs> I thought you were gonna do. I can't something say like that, that word without um without saying it in that in that in that stupid way, um. This was apparently the final song to be mixed, and according to the band, Judas is an arrogant love song. We are not condoning unsafe sex. It's about wanting 100% of someone in a relationship, the ultimate arrogance. Um, so I think this is, again, a, a obviously theological sort of song, and what they're doing is they're, they're bringing out really interesting dimensions to what's going on here. On a simple level, Judas is... A bad man you know if he was he was a he was a betraying man and if you want to you know just have a simple way of saying look you're a traitor you call someone judas but obviously there's a complicated theology around all this because jesus surely needed judas to betray him in order for the ultimate sacrifice to actually work out it's a kind of sinister quality here because depending on what you think jesus is was or blah 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 Surely he was coaxing Judas into that kind of thing. If you if you see what I mean. I'm sorry if I'm upsetting any Christians out there that we have listening who are who are who think I'm trampling all over the theology and everything like that. But I've never heard of Christians getting upset before, I think you say. Well, well um, but you know you know what I mean. I I <laughs> Let's talk about the song, God. Um So, um I I, I love a fiddle in a song. And I don't know what the distinction between a fiddle and a violin is, but this felt like a fiddle and not a violin. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm, <laughs> Do you agree I'm not with me? Going to what constitutes a fiddle or not? Otherwise, we might end up getting onto ropey territory. But this is um, the intro to this has. Um, I can't say the way this is. It's a. It's a. 
it's an Irish bagpipe called the Ulian pipes. I, I might be saying that totally wrong. That's what that sound is, um, which were recorded with reversed reverb and mixed into the sound to give them a haunting feel. Um, it's a it's a beautiful sound and and beautifully haunting at the same time. Yeah, it's amazing how they can uh, like mix the traditional uh, sound of the fiddle. I'm going to keep on with the. It's fiddle. really not a fiddle; uh, it's a pipe. It's a totally different type of instrument. Is it? Is it? Yeah. Are you sure? You blow into a pipe. Yeah, I know what you fucking. I, <laughs> I know what you do with a pipe, right? Yeah. But it sounded like a fiddle to me. One is a stringed instrument. One is. I I know that, Jonathan. <laughs> but right, Judas. Are you just calling that me now? No. Are you trying to play the song to yourself? I am. Okay, it might be a pipe. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's Ulian pipes or you know whatever, however you pronounce that. <laughs> I retract my previous statements about fiddles. Yeah, but I mean the point is that it, it is a beautifully sinister and interesting <laughs> instrument to start this off with, and it comes out of left field, and it's just one one more interesting texture that, despite being surprising, works. It sounded it sounded it sounded so stringy to me last night. I think you've got to put this behind you. <laughs> yeah, I pro- I probably have. So I feel like um, it just this just goes somewhere sonically, and it kind of gets under your skin, mm. and and I just I I think I ended up falling in love with it a little bit last night, because um, it is. And then you look you look at the lyrics, and they're so nice, and you know the first line is simplicity best. Mm. It's just, it's just. I like, I like the, those ideas. The, the more I listen to um, this, though, the more that that um, that kind of uh, niceness or reassuring quality to me, it because particularly because it's called Judas as well. This is someone coaxing someone into something that will ultimately not benefit them. So he's saying you can fulfill your wildest ambitions, and I'm sure you will lose your inhibitions. So open yourself for me and risk your health for me. So. Like like we, like Martin Gore was saying before, this is someone saying, I need 100% of you. And isn't that ultimately what happened to Judas? He did something that he felt was, I don't know, like, like he was motivated to do it somehow. And he lost 100% of him and, you know, risked his health and everything. I don't, I don't know. It's it, it's such a weird song. And you, I think you'd have to... Well, I think the lesson is that Judas could have been any one of us. In 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 a kind no, I don't really know in what way you mean. I mean, I think anyone can can have a relationship where someone takes a hundred percent of them, definitely. And you know that whole "if you want my love" thing. That sh- in another song, that would be a coaxing, nice thing to say. Whereas he's saying, "If you want my love, you have to, you know, lose so- all of yourself, basically." Which I think is it can be the way that a lot of relationships go. So in that way, definitely, we could all be. Judai. Yeah, I remember. I remember before you had a missus, and we used to have wild nights like that. <laughs> that that did not happen. <laughs> In fact, I think I've had more wild nights out with your missus than I have with you. Well, fair enough. That's just that's just the way the cookie crumbles. She's more fun, and she can drink more. Uh, one of those statements is true. <laughs> anyway. Um, Let's get off. Let's try and get off uh, religion and uh, and fiddles. 
that aren't fiddles. You can't, you can't get off religion with this album. That's what I'm saying. It's it's, it's songs of faith and devotion. Well, no, you can't. Well, but there are less obvious ones than, than Judas. Mm, fair enough. Um, I also felt that <laughs> I'm very worried about the amount of people were were, were isolating. Well, I I think Depeche Mode have started have they've they've started an interesting conversation on this album, and I just want to talk back with them. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying I think no. anyone should believe or not believe anything. I couldn't care less what you believe, to be honest. That is true. They're not afraid to tackle bigger issues. Yeah, and isn't that what you two have done? They say that in you know in in rock music and in in the pub, you shouldn't talk about politics and religion, and they really are getting into some deep topics here. Um, the only thing I would say about yeah. Judas is there's a weird minute at the end or two where the song it fades out. And then it comes back in again, and you think, right, they're going to build up to something here, you know. And then it sort of doesn't. And I know that no Depeche Mode fan would want that minute or so to be cut off the end of it, but I just kind of see it as not really necessary. It, it reaches a natural climax for me, and then it comes back, but not really. I think I felt the same way. Actually, it happens on another song as well, and I was thinking, what's going on here? Um. But I'm, you know, I'm sure there's loads of people who think no, that's the best bit of the song. So fair enough. Uh, well, in your room then, track six at six minutes twenty six. Yeah, one of my favourites. Although it took a long time to become one of my favourites. Um, like a lot of people, I I had heard the Zephyr mix to this before I'd ever heard this version. This was the first time in the past three weeks that I'd I'd heard this original album version. Um, so the single release was um, the alternate version of this, which was uh, produced by Butch Vig of uh, Nirvana and Garbage Fame. He was a producer who worked with with those two um, bands. And the main difference seems to be that there is a ringing arpeggiated guitar that goes over it, which I would say makes it a easier listen, but ultimately a less good listen. Any thoughts? So you think the Zephyr mix is less? The good. album version is much better, in my opinion. I think the Zephyr mix is more accessible, but like a true hipster, I'm going to say that I prefer the album version because it's just a bit more, it's a bit less poppy and a bit, uh, it's it feels a bit twee the, the Zephyr mix in 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 some ways. It, well, I felt like the Zephyr mix added something, but then again, I, I listened, I managed to listen to, I, I was enjoying in your room before I found out there was a Zephyr mix. Oh, fair enough. Then. So, I I like both, but I think for my own personal musical taste, the Zephyr mix would would pip it to the post. I, I also understand why, because um, as, as a single mix, it's 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 much more. It makes a lot more sense because the album version, it takes a couple of minutes before you get to that. You know, the 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 chorus is incredibly catchy on this song, but it's very far from a classic song because it takes so long for him to say, "I'm hanging on your words." living on your breath and you know bringing in that that chorus melody which is so infectious yeah well i've put here um and this is a note to anybody listening to this if you don't do anything else that i asked you to do today just go away and listen to the zephyr mix that's how that's how much i enjoyed it when i listened to it so so what what do you think's better about it do you think it's just more it's nicer i think it's more in my my style the guitar is a bit edgy, think, to be honest, actually, when I think about it. It actually sounded cleaner as well. Yep. Um, I also like the compact fusion mix. <laughs> I've not listened to... I've not gone that far on my, uh, my my travels with this album yet. 
Um, well, it's there if you if you want it. Um, but uh, could you go over to your Google machine, please, Jonathan? Yeah, go on. <laughs> Don't know why yeah, I'm going. Oddly formal there. today, Samuel. Go on. It's like like <laughs> it's like you're in trouble. Um, so if you go to Google and type in in your room, look at the single cover. Oh, this is fun for everyone. Um, yep. Right, so uh, a 1988 song by American group The Bangles. Oh, interesting. Oh, no, I want the Depeche Mode one, right? Um, Obviously not. Obviously. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This was going to come up later on when I wanted to talk to you about the devotional yeah. tour. T- tell me what you see. Uh, theft. <laughs> <laughs> theft by who? By uh, well, by the the lads, by by you two and and the boys. So on the on the on the cover um, of in your room, there is um, a light bulb. Light bulbs would later become a very big part of you two's uh, promotion for the Innocence and Experience tour. This is something that I noticed before I even looked at that because of the um, the tour that was attached to this album, um, which in itself is fascinating to get into. Um, but the the 1993 devotional tour, um, which I, th- I think it did carry on for for a long time. I think it went on be- beyond. Um, oh wait, no, no, started in May and in December. Um, that featured prominently these pictures and images uh, on a set designed by Anton Corbin of the light bulbs, and yeah, it just seemed like Depeche Mode got there a lot earlier with this. I mean, obviously, a light bulb is a relatively common pop sort of image but you can't see that in this context photographed in that way without thinking hang on a tick no i think the i think the the light bulb that you two used in the stage show and and the design is really cool to the point where i almost got it tattooed on me um so um but i I have to admit i'm a little bit disappointed now yeah um that because it's it is a bit of an obvious one that yeah um it's I mean, there's not really much you can say about it and it, it is weird watching the um watching the performances that are on the devotional tour you do you do find odd echoes because of the art style being so similar in a lot of ways being someone who's grown up with you two and become so immersed in that type of stuff there are similarities to the um the zoo tv tour and the way the stage is set up and things like that although it's a lot less busy um and arguably messy than than zoo tv is yeah um back to in your room in terms of actual meaning it it carries on a lot of the stuff that's been going on in terms of being enthralled to someone so completely um you know hanging on your words living on your breath feeling with your skin will i always be here this is about someone who's being disempowered and the the video obviously shows this, and actually was controversially. I think it was it was banned in some places because it featured bondage and very partial nudity and things like that. Um, and I think it gets to that issue, bondage, bondage. James Bondage. <laughs> I think it uh, gets to that issue of of being both disempowered and finding it both disturbing and enjoyable in at the same time. And that seems to be something that Martin Gore talks about a lot here. Um, it also seems to be something that um, Trent Reznor, who's obviously a big fan of Depeche Mode, took from Depeche Mode and maybe accelerated or exaggerated or turned up a little bit higher. 
Do you know, that is something that I haven't... The connection between uh, Trent and Depeche Mode is something I haven't thought about much the past Very couple strong. weeks. Very strong. Yeah, I know, and, and, and I, I like um, Nine Inch Nails and, and uh, Trent Reznor, but I just, it's like I just completely, I was just focusing on this album so mm. much that I, I forgot the things around it, like even the Marilyn Manson connections, because uh, Manson uh, cites Depeche Mode as a huge influence. Yeah, and you can, if you're, if you're a Manson fan, which I'd, I'd say we both are, you can see definite connections that are, that are being made, although it might be a while before we do Antichrist Superstar on Tumble, that'll be a... I mean, God, if we're going to talk about religion in that album, then that's going to be a long discussion. There's also <laughs> there's also on the CD version 99 tracks on that album. Yeah, I see. I see. Granted, 80 or 70 of them are just seconds of silence, but I feel it would be our duty to review every single one of them. Oh, good God! Do you know what was recommended to us on Twitter the other day? Go on. Um, that that we review Live Aid in its entirety. Oh, so it's a long, that's a long and potentially boring um, one to do track by track. <laughs> so I was thinking, I was thinking we'll do a watch along of disc one, disc two, disc three, and disc four. I think there's only four discs. Only he says. Um, we'll, only yeah, and we, we would release them uh, one a year on the anniversary of Live Aid. <laughs> <laughs> so so we do one disc a year. <laughs> I don't. I don't know how uh, how how up for that you. Let's be. talk about that in a production meeting. Um, I think that will probably be the, <laughs> my answer to that. I'm not averse to doing live aid. There's some interesting stuff that goes on there, but I also feel like hasn't it been raked over the coals a lot by lots of people? I, I, I'm oddly also not that bothered by U2's performance there. I mean, I know it. I know how significant it is, but I saw a video on YouTube recently of a girl. Her dad. I think that her dad shows her. Um, videos, you know, to give her a musical education. She's she's a, you know a teenage girl, um, and and quite heartwarming some mm. of the videos. But she was watching bad, and to see the look on her face as she was watching you two play um, Live mm. Aid, uh, it it was it was it was quite nice to see. And I think you can be cynical about that particular moment because it has been replayed and rehashed so much. But um, it's quite nice to see somebody enjoying that for the first yeah, time. Yeah, and I think that's that is that is nice. It's the same old dilemma that we come to all the time. Once you've got used to something, you it's so easy to just put it behind you and say, "Yeah, obviously, you know that was what it was like," and "Yeah, obviously, it's great," and do it with that sort of cynical. Way. I, I I also think if it's possible, we've understated just how important that was. Yeah, probably probably have. Yeah. Um, right, where are we up to with this album? Well, Tyler, you need to get right with me. <laughs> right, okay. Um, so I thought, uh, this is 3 minutes 52 seconds, by the way, and it's, uh, for my taste, a little bit too preachy. It It is oddly uplifting, um, and an anthem for the donor notes, but mm, for me, it just, um, yeah, mm. it's uh, just just a bit too much on the preachy side, personally. It's, I mean, it's a gospel song again, so it's it's interesting in terms of form compared to the songs that are around it. I mean, you've got in your room, which is this d- deep, I don't know how how you'd explain it. It's it's incredible, and then Rush, which is quite nine inch naily, nailsy, whatever. Um, and then you've got this sort of unexpected gospel song just in in the middle. Um, it's it. 
I, I imagine it'd be fun live, but it's not one that I would be coming back to a, a lot. Um, yeah. Um, I think the melody is slightly surprising considering the first 20 seconds or so. Um, and I think there's some interesting things going on in the in the lyrics where he's saying, people take my advice. I already told you once, once or twice. I don't really know whether this speaker um, is, this is meant to be a plea, you know, people take my advice or it's meant to be a threat as in take my advice or bad things will happen to you. Um, and the whispered parts do seem quite threatening as well. But apparently this is another occasion where there's a hidden well not another occasion but this is another occasion for me where the song sort of doesn't finish completely and then it gets restarted but apparently this has a hidden track called interlude hashtag for my kingdom comes i just don't it's yeah not needed. that starts at two minutes 59 i think it's not it's not a very long song it's less than a minute I don't long. Th- don't think it's needed um, really no, I, I feel like if if this album has any missteps, then this might be it. Yeah, I, th- um, I, I think I've got that feeling I'll, as well. The the lyrics that I have highlighted here are, friends, if you've lost your way, you'll find it again someday. Come down from your pedestal and open your mouth. That's all. Get right with me. And I felt like it was... This isn't a song that will solve all your problems, but it's a song that offers you company and positivity during a time of darkness. Yeah, I could see someone throwing this on if they were feeling a bit down in the dumps, as probably a lot of people are at the moment. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 definitely uplifting. Um, interesting sounds. I like the sounds of the guitar, which I've put in inverted commas because I don't know if it is guitar. Um, but it it wouldn't be one of the ones that I think is the best representative and i think on another album by a different band i might think oh this is great but next to these other sort of towering pillars of songs it doesn't really doesn't really push through really to me no um not not that it's bad uh, i imagine a lot of people really like this as i say for me just a little bit too much of what i don't like and um there are better songs on the album yeah, um, and the next one, which we'll rush on to, is Rush. Yeah, so I'm I'm slightly addicted uh, to Rush at the moment. Um, particularly that electronic kind of... I've described it as an electronic heartbeat that that persists all the way th- mm. through it. It's just... I, I, honestly, I, I swear the first few times I was listening to this, I, I didn't care about anything else that was happening around it. It's just that electronic heartbeat just... Mm. It, it's it's weird. Uh, definitely a closed can song. So uh, I don't want to see anybody listen to the, listening to this in uh, tinny earphones. Tinny, tinny. Um, it's just got this gorgeous, like, feeling to it, and it's it, it, ha- it does have a kind of power over me. I'm I'm going to absolutely gush with this. I think it's called Rush. Um, yeah, it's very good. <laughs> I'm going to gush for the rush, um, or rush to the gush. I'm not sure. Both sound disgusting. Uh, Carry on. <laughs> the, the the quiet interlude goes on a little bit too long but I get why they've done that I think Depeche Mode like to start you off at the top of a hill bring you back down into a valley and then end you know on on, on an even higher hill if, if that's well, they, possible yeah they do that properly and here do... whereas in the other songs we've talked about they don't yeah. really do that they like to you know explode a song towards the end and 
I think this would be epic live. Mm. I just think this would be so 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 good and to and to be in a, a crowd with like-minded people and 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 see that performed well live and which I'm sure they do would be just I incredible. was watching a YouTube video from the v- devotional tour on this and um it is is fantastic and one thing we've maybe not talked about that much is how much of a showman Dave Garn is. I mean if if Bono is a showman on Zoo TV then Garn definitely gives him a run for his money spinning around holding the mic stand throwing back his hair at the moment at that time as well he had long hair and by the end he is he's just such a he's he's such a presence and I know Bono tries occasionally in the 90s era to be quote-unquote sort of sensual and sexy Dave Garn does that effortlessly yeah yes Dave Garn is a is a sexy man uh it's it's hard to ignore that I last night I watched uh, live in Milan I think it's from 2006 Mm. Touring yep. the Angel, good album. Uh, I put, I put out a um, tweet a few weeks ago uh, asking for uh, DVD and Blu-ray recommendations for concerts. That was one of the ones that came recommended, and I watched it last night, and it was amazing. Um, uh, I was actually testing out some new uh, earphones, uh, which weren't very <laughs> that, good. That went from so interesting them. to completely banal. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, when I was, but one thing I did notice about um, Dave Garn, his teeth, is like, I've never noticed them. My goodness, Grandma, what what wonderful teeth you have! He he has very very sharp spiky teeth. <laughs> it's very strange. I've, I've never noticed um, that. But in in terms of a showman, yeah, likened him to uh, David Bowie and uh, Freddie Mercury. I feel like oftentimes he was channeling Freddie Mercury. Uh, Michael Hutchins. Um, yeah, I'd say more more just, Hutch and um, also Jim Morrison as well. He's got this. He's got this walk of like that that I I recognise from Freddie, um, and I just yeah, fantastic. Uh, you can Sean tell he's would, would absolutely really like to see them live. absolutely comfortable and in his element when he's on stage. You know, like there's an a hundred percent confidence there, which you you can't argue is the same for the rest of the, of Depeche Mode, particularly Fletch, who looks like an accountant to me. <laughs> he loves the music that, he, that the band play. And you can tell he's passionate about that music. And sometimes you can tell if, if someone's phoning it in. But you, you, can, you can tell he's obviously loving and enjoying what he's doing. You can't fake the way that he performs. No, no. Um, back to Rush... Um... According to one of the reviews at the time um, by someone called Ned Raggett, he says, um, Rush is the biggest misstep, a too obvious sign that Nine Inch Nails was a recording session favourite to unwind to. Um, now, I I agree that this does sound Nine Inch Nails-y, but the, kind of the charge is sort of circular because of the way that the bands would be inspiring each other anyway. Um, but I, I just think this is great. It's just... Depeche Mode a bit faster and a bit harder, which is what the album needs precisely at this time. This is a moment which is absolutely perfectly placed. And I get annoyed when bands forget that just because you're on track seven, eight, and nine doesn't mean you can just, you know, completely turn your tempo down and stop doing things that are exciting and interesting. Again, this is why a song like Acrobat is good because it's it's interesting and aggressive. And it's not just forgotten about and, you know, the album doesn't become limp at the end of it. Um, but back to Depeche Mode, um, it's a song which has pace, has 
confusing instruments in terms of the way that they're arranged and processed but that's so interesting and i really like that bit in the middle with the with the drums um that are kind of phasery or flangy with lots of d- delay on them i just that's the sort of thing that i really enjoy yeah i mean um you you know that i i the, the thing i normally find best about a song first or the thing the, the hook that will get me into a song is the melody yeah. or the lyrics i couldn't tell you one lyric of rough because the music is is that yeah. good i'm completely enamored by how it sounds i could not honestly right now unless i looked i couldn't tell you one lyric because it, i almost ignore the lyrics completely i know that dave's singing mm. Um, but I'm, I'm very much just hearing the vocals as if it's another instrument. Well, one thing that, that I notice uh, is that the lyrics are slightly uncomfortable in in some places. It, it's an al- it's a song that he's saying, you know, open your open your delicate mouth, and there's this real focus on um, opening a mouth. And there's a bit where he says, "Seeing the tears in my eyes, I'm not proud of what I do." That just seems it, it seems like the aggression matches the feeling, and I think this is Dave playing or Martin playing with interesting characters. Um, I, somewhat primal yeah, and, and again we're back to that whole bondage sort of issue where someone has power and someone doesn't necessarily have power and where there's different levels of enjoyment and perhaps danger in those different things which it fits perfectly with the, with the way the song sounds the last thing I've got written is um, that it sounds it like it wouldn't be um, it wouldn't be a bad track to put on um, do you remember in the 90s there was a um, a spaceship racing game called Wipeout yeah, it sounds like it would fit on the Wipeout soundtrack quite well. I've not thought about that for twenty five years, but I'll uh, I'll I'll look I'll look that up when I uh, when we when we're done here. Well, then if I have to say anything to anyone, it's stick on Rush and then watch a muted video of Wipeout from the nineties, and just you know enjoy enjoy a bit of nostalgia. One caress. Another short song at 3 minutes 32, and one that Gore sings. Martin Gore sings. I just call him Gore, it sounds a bit odd. Um, this is a very different texture to the album, and because it's mainly orchestra that, that drives it forward. And weirdly, this reminded me of Tim Burton-style territory. I don't know why. Maybe it's because Martin Gore's voice is slightly... Um, I don't want to say weaker, but it's not as, as thick and rich as as dave garns is which i think is a reasonable thing to say it's just got a different sort of quality a bit like how the edge is is just different to bonner's it's not worse it's just different it's a bit softer yeah yeah um the uh, one thing i will say is that when he starts saying oh girl that stuff doesn't convince me as much as with dave maybe just it's not as powerful um do you know what? Lyrically and vocally, it reminds me a lot of again Hutch and Freddie. Hmm. Do you not get that? Um, I don't know what bit, what what bit specifically. I mean, Martin Gore. I mean, got... he's not going all he's not going all uh, all out like Dale, Dale. He's not doing all all that stuff. Mm, but thank heavens. If if you um if you listen to like you know. Freddie singing singing a quieter track, then it, uh, it it does sound a lot like that, and there seems to be a huge influence there, as I suppose there would be for any band, you know, just after, 
you know the hype of Queen and the and the heights that they reached in in the eighties. Mm. Um, but it's it's definitely definitely musical theatre. The thing that the thing that reminds me of um, Hutch is when he sings "Oh Girl." I find that line to be so seductive. I'm just not as convinced by it. I, f- I find it a little bit. I just find it a little bit cringeworthy, to be honest. But I often find in excess a bit cringeworthy. I, I, I don't mind admitting it. Give me gives me the tingles. Um, I I think the, I, I mean I like the song. I think it's well structured. Like I mean, like all the rest of the songs that Gore's written here. But um, the thing that the that I enjoy most about this song would, apart from the fact that the orchestration is just interesting and we've not really seen it as much in other places, is there seems to be a an idea of of redemption here. So when he's saying I have to believe that sin can make a better man, that idea that it's not just people who are spotlessly pure who get to be saved if we are talking about ideas of redemption whether they're religious or not it's actually it's actually in some way not better but it's those who've done the most sinning that need the most saving basically is what i'm trying to say and i i like that as an as an idea well okay um i'm 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 really i really don't want this to become a review religion podcast <laughs> That podcast um, which, is not going to happen. Which, no, but I, I think you would love that if it was if it was you and like Hitchens and um, what's his name, Richard Dawkins. I think I think you would love to be sat there in their company and talking about religion. I mean, I'd be, I'd be interested in that, but the problem with that room is that you've got two thirds of the room just agreeing with each other all the time. Um, whereas I'd hope to have <laughs> I'd hope to have some some some. I didn't know, say which Hitchens. Well, the problem with that room is you've got a complete. What do I? Um, I don't like. I don't like Peter Hitchens very much for a lot of reasons. I'd like someone nice like Rowan Williams, like someone who's a really like gifted theological thinker. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, fine. Well, let's not let's not review religion. That's definitely not the program no. that we're doing here. I I I really like it. I really like it. Um, track ten then, final track. Higher love. Um, this was Higher. this was. <laughs> that's that's very funny. Um, I'd never thought of it like that. <laughs> I love. Um, oh, I, I love you. All right. <laughs> I can't imagine Dave Garn ever, <laughs> ever having considered that being part of this, um, of the way this would be introduced. <laughs> I am Johnny. You're all right, love. Yeah. Well, let's let's move away from from that character. Um, so, <laughs> I love. This is I've, the things I've got written down here is because. It's the end of an of an album. You'd you'd expect maybe possibly a drawing down, but this is a real like raising up and almost like a lift off. It's so huge this song, and I wasn't surprised when I looked at the devotional um, performance video and Higher Love. The end of this album was actually used as the start of the tour, which is a I think that's a really confident move doing that because you're basically saying look, we believe you've invested in this and you've properly listened to this album, you know. I, the th- first thing I wrote for the review of this was they just don't let up. It just, you'd think they might, you know, go for a quiet end, mm. but they just pile it on. And again, fi- with the final track, there's so much to discover and it just keeps building and moving and changing. Mm. And... You know, 10 tracks on an album in 1993 is quite possibly a short album. 
in terms of track listing but not track length here because there's some chunky chunky songs here there's yeah there's a lot of five minute plus and a couple of six um, minutes i mean this but, one's four but, seconds off that but to look at it if you're you know a young kid in a record store and you're looking at the back of the record and you go well there's there's 12 tracks on this one but there's there's 10 tracks on this one and the, you know they're both 9.99 or 12.99 or 18.99 if they went to andy's records like you mm, did rip off. but um but do you know what? It, it might be the difference between not buying this album. Well, you'd be a you know, fool. Just, just tent- yeah, but there's so much. And it just makes you think, God, how much more did they have? Because really, throughout the album, you don't really get a sense that they're struggling. It's, it, it, it feels like they're, they're in a very creative spell and they could have put out a lot more tracks. Yeah, I think you none could... Of, none of these songs seem, uh, seem you know, what, what, what would be the, the term? Yeah, yeah. And I think you could, you could, if you'd not read anything about this album, you could definitely think, wow, they've really gelled together on this. They must have been on the same page. The album's so consistent. The themes are developed and complicated all the way through. And everyone must have just been having a, a really great creative time. They really weren't. They were having an awful time in terms of interpersonal stuff. Um, there were so many problems with recording things that Flood said, as as I said, it was it was like getting blood from a stone really a lot a lot of the time and the band weren't happy with with each other weren't getting on particularly martin gore and alan wilder apparently and he left depeche mode um not not long after this whole cycle of of the devotion stuff had, had done because he didn't feel like he was being properly valued and yet you get songs like this which is is just amazing it's in, it's always interesting to me that bands that are really um, struggling to get along on a personal level can produce some great music. And there's there's amazing like I know you're not a huge fan of Fleetwood Mac, but the the album Rumors, you know, four people have all having affairs with each other. To put to put it simply, um, and I know that that's not strictly accurate, but for, it's. I it's know such a strong album. Of, of the, of it's, it, it, they're hating each other and just either being in relationships or doing loads of drugs and that kind of thing. Yeah, but it's such a strong album. And when you think like, oh my God, you know, how did how did four people who distrusted each other and really weren't getting along with each other, couldn't stand the sight of each other, how did they produce? Uh, I think it's more than four, actually. But how did they produce one of the most seminal albums of all time? And you listen to it, and it's it's incredible when you realise what was going on behind the scenes. It's incredible anyway, but when you, when you realise what's going on behind the scenes, it's, it's even better. And I, you know, I, I get that to an extent on this. And I think I think what we're discovering is there's not really any kind of set formula, because I mean, looking at some of the other bands that we've done, there's been moments where you read and people are saying, yeah, the studio was just working out really well, or we were all on the same page and this song just came out of nowhere. And I was looking actually at, um, at the band Doves who, who I'd, I'd like to do at some point and they were talking about um, their album. Oh God, what's the name of the album? That's really annoying. It's the one that There Goes a Fear and Pounding is off. What is that album called? Last Broadcast. Right, so yeah. Yes. So they, they were talking about Last Broadcast and how songs were just coming to them and it was working really well. And that album, I would I would... I would expect, yeah, they must have been getting on well. But same thing here, but obviously they weren't. Um, but 
There's, well, there's we both know that album very well. We can do a bonus episode of that soon if you want. Possibly. Let's uh, again production meeting that can that can be discussed. Oh, I, I thought this was the production meeting. <laughs> People actually listen to this garbage. Is this going out? <laughs> <laughs> um, on higher love, uh, I think this is it's a good way to. The reason why it's a good ending track and actually opening track is because it it does distill or sum up that masochism or devotional conflict or ambivalence that's been going on throughout the whole album. Is this higher love something that has to be submitted to um, for good reasons or for bad reasons? Where is the power? And that seems to be a question that's asked all the way through this, whether it's in terms of sexuality or love or religion. And I, I like albums that give you that ambiguity. He keeps saying to a higher love and i can imagine the loads of people who would who would have found that thing that they want to devote themselves to and yet it's totally different to something else that someone wants to devote themselves to so yeah it, it yeah. could be it could be a god it could be a relationship it could be a friend a podcast. it could be a hobby it, it a podcast it, it could be a job you know it, there are there are things that you have to approach with a certain religiosity, regardless of whether you you would class yourself as religious or not. Well, um, yeah, and there a, are some and a things that you just yeah, you've got to devote yourself to. You've got to believe in just for it to be a thing. Um. So I like I really like Higher Love because it's oh man, there's so much uh, on a sonic level. There is an extraordinary amount to like mm. with this album. And there's so much depth, and there are there. Are, I don't know how many people do this, and I feel like over the last couple of episodes, I've talked way too much about headphones. <laughs> but, but I, what I like about trying different headphones is you can, you will find some which aren't necessarily a great quality, but you, you, you hear something different with those than you would have done with a with a more expensive pair, and and that's why I like to listen to albums. On, on different different headphones, different canned headphones. Um, so you sound like I, at any minute you're gonna go, and that's why <laughs> I choose Beats by Dr. Dre to listen to all my favorite albums. Um, I do you know what I I I wasn't impressed with Beats when I tried them. Uh, the Defiant Ones, the documentary on Netflix, actually made me want them a little bit. Um. But I've always I've always preferred uh, Bose or, or Sennheiser. Sennheiser, uh, 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 I've, that's what I've got on my on my ears at the moment. Yeah, snap. Um, if if uh, if Bose or Sennheiser or Beats want to sponsor the podcast, we are open to negotiations. Well, yeah, and I will say Sennheiser. To be fair, I, um, sent me a new pair of headphones without any quite expensive ones because they've they've broken. Probably probably not really the headphones fault um but they just sent me some new ones and i think they're great so yeah so, some free stuff would be nice because then we get nothing else out of this podcast I, I i also recommend kit sounds which is available in tesco <laughs> and is a, a cheaper alternative um honestly give them a look they're quite good mm, well let's get away from this anyway because i think we're probably winding a load of people up and i think a nice <laughs> way to finish talking about songs of faith and devotion um during you know this is hot off the press here but during this podcast actually being recorded we got a question or a series of questions from someone on twitter who's got a very nice picture of edge with a uh, a sad face snowman which i like and they are at velpeshnikov um, I might be saying that wrong. Valpeshnikova. No, they're from the fr- uh, they are from Russia. They've been joining in with the you together at home. 
uh, fan events. Um, uh, so we've had a, a few conversations, a few nice interactions, uh, and I you know, hope they're doing well. Oh, oh brilliant. Um, so question number one, what are your fave songs, obviously, and least favourite? So I guess that just takes us on to the old... The old question of what is going to be our sweetest thing on this album? What's going to be our dirty day? So, Tyler, what's your sweetest thing on this album? Um, ooh, I, I'm I'm pushed. Uh, I'm pushed. Uh, I'm going to go rush for for this one. That's what I thought you would say. For me, it is going to be in your room. I think I just really discovered this song for the first time properly here in this album in the album form. Uh, and your dirty day or your your least favorite track? My least favourite is probably going to be Get Right With Me. Not a bad song, just think it's the one that contributes less than others. Ding, 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 ding. There we go. Oh, uh, I also I, I agree. Just not that it's a bad track, just personally for me, not the kind of thing I like. Yeah. Number two. So um, the next question is, do you consider this Depeche Mode's best or not? I can't really answer that fairly because I've not properly given any of the Depeche Mode albums as great a listen as I have this one. I like Black Celebration and I like Violator and uh, I like um, uh, Playing the Angel as well. But this one at the moment is the one that I enjoy most, but that's probably just because I've spent the most time with it. It does seem, though, like the sort of sound that I, I just really like. So maybe maybe it will be my, my favourite one. And I know this is a lot of people's favourite. Uh, yes, yeah, so this is only the second Depeche Mode album that I've listened to start to finish. So again, I don't feel tremendously qualified to answer that. Um, I, I was really into Spirit when it came out a few years back. Couldn't get into uh, it. Really? I find that really easy to get into. Um, and other than that, I've, I've listened to a lot of the the remixes uh and i know a few of the singles so we're, we're at the beginning of our depeche mode journey i think we can both safely say yeah um it's 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 a really strong record yeah and it's kind of sad because it might be that we end up um we end up it'd be like me getting into you two but listening to acting baby first and it'd be a fantastic journey but you might end up right back at the start saying no acting baby was the best one Having watched touring the Angel last night, I, I really, I really want to uh, go and listen to playing the Angel. Um, and yeah, we're right at the start, and um, I, I think at some at this point with Tummel, we're really interested in covering as many different artists as we as we possibly can, yeah. from as many different places as we possibly can. Um, but undoubtedly, eventually, we're gonna cycle round and end up doing subsequent albums from from bands we've already covered um which is which is absolutely fine by me so it won't it probably won't be the last time that we cover depeche mode no um last question which version of in your room do you prefer album or music video version i think we've kind of answered that i prefer the album tyler do you prefer the video uh, so I prefer the zephyr mix the, yeah the zephyr mix if we're being purist yeah. uh and and what was that other one that I I mentioned. Let me just scroll back up to my notes. Uh, the compact fusion remix I really was liking. Uh, I heard that just before we started recording. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, probably probably the single mix for me at the minute. Okay, well I think that wraps up 
Songs of Faith and Devotion. It's been a really, really interesting and engaging listen. Um, as we'd like to stress <laughs> always, what were you, were you giggling at? <laughs> well, it's not for us to say, is it really? No, we, the, we, the album, not us. We've been banging on about all right. about nothing in circles for ages. Um, I, I just, I just, honestly, I have at times forgotten we're recording today, and I've just been having a chat with you. Well, I'm not sure if that's going to lead to a particularly good podcast. <laughs> but look, if people are listening now at one hour forty or whatever, whatever it is, whatever crazy levels we've got up to, then um, I guess they're just in for the long haul. Apologies if there are any people who um, who have found any any opinions divisive. I don't think they will be. I mean, we try to be respectful to everyone, and um, we hope if you're a Depeche Mode fan that you've enjoyed this enough to have a listen to some of our other episodes. If not, are you two coverage then? check out the other episodes of Tummel because there'll probably be something for you there, we hope. And we hope we've we've done justice to this album. Yeah, any way you can support the podcast, that would be fantastic. Uh, like, comment, subscribe. Follow us on Twitter, on Facebook. Uh, most importantly, if you could, please leave us an iTunes review. Um, we've really been getting a lot of great feedback and it's, and, uh, it's been things that mention things about the podcast that me and Johnny have actually normally spent a lot of time on and um it's never been commented on um so yeah we are we we do really enjoy the the feedback and if you can please just leave us a um uh, an itunes review be honest give it give us that five star review you know we we you know we've earned it um <laughs> I would just. Say, I, I think would, I've had one. I've had one too many beers on this podcast. Oh, I, think. I think I've had one too few, which is to say none. Um, yeah, leave us a review. What else are you going to do in lockdown? Yeah, and we will. We'll. We'll. We'll read it. There you go. <laughs> wow! What an offer. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, before Tyler starts making no sense uh, completely, um, it's time to say goodbye <laughs> to everyone and thank you for listening. Thank you very much, guys. We'll see you very soon. Bye bye. Hi there, thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch, please contact us on facebook.com forward slash review 2 u or on soundcloud.com forward slash review 2 or search for the Review 2 podcast on iTunes. You can also email us at review2contact at gmail.com. Please like, comment and subscribe. Thank you.